Now, this is a very special day today. We've got a special, special guest with us, someone who's no stranger to the Bridge Church. You know, I was thinking back, Bayless, what, 25, 30 years ago you ministered in the Bridge Church, maybe even further back than that when it was New Covenant Fellowship way back in the day. And for the last 10 years, almost every year, Bayless and Janet have been here. Uh, Janet did one of the ladies' nights just a few nights ago. Great friends of the church. I could go on for several minutes talking about all the things he does and has done, but I don't think he cares about sharing all that this morning. We want to give him plenty of time to share God's Word. If you would, put your hands together. Let's welcome Bayless Conley today. Good morning. I love the early crowd. In our church, it's the uh, early service that are the wild ones. I'm not sure why we haven't been able to work that out, but they just seem to be a little more radical, a little more awake uh, than everybody else. So we'll see if it's the same here at the bridge. Uh, we are really glad to be back with uh, Pastor Gary, Pastor Ann, and the whole team, and uh, everyone here, as he said, we've been connected uh, for a long time long time. Um, the uh, founding pastors, uh, Roger and, and Evie, we were friends with them back when they first uh, started the church here. And um, anyway, it's just neat to see how things have progressed and what God has done in this house. And uh, it's an honor to be with you today. Will you pray with me? All right, Heavenly Father, we, we just settle our hearts down right now and we ask you to speak to us deeply through your word. We pray that you would give us insight and understanding in order that we might be doers of the word and not just hearers. And in everything we pray, Jesus would be glorified. I have a very simple message <clears throat> to share with you today. I want to talk to you about Jesus. Hebrews 13 and 8, a very well-known verse of scripture, says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. His compassions have not failed. His mercies have not dried up. His power has not been diminished. He's the same today as he was when he walked the dusty Judean roads, as he was when he uh, walked the shores of Galilee. Jesus Christ is the same. And I just want to talk to you about four ways that he's the same. You could put this in another, <clears throat> another way. Say four things that he wants to do for you. Four ways that Jesus hasn't changed. Four things he wants to do for you. Are you ready? Yeah. Right. Number one, he is full of mercy for the guilty. And you know, only the guilty need mercy. Jesus is full of mercy for the guilty. There's an interesting story in John chapter 8. You can turn there if you would. We'll be reading a few verses together in a couple of minutes. But it's, it's one of the most well-known stories in Scripture. At least certain parts of it are. Jesus has been in the temple teaching. And he leaves in the afternoon, goes across the brook, up into the Mount of Olives. And he spends the night there in the Mount of Olives. Early the next morning, he comes back into Jerusalem and into the temple and he sits down and he begins to teach. And a huge crowd of people gather around him and listen to him teaching. 
But suddenly there's a ruckus. His teaching is interrupted because a group of Pharisees come dragging this poor woman with them. They set her in the midst of this crowd of people in front of Jesus. And they say, look, Jesus, this woman was caught committing adultery. I mean, in the very act. Now, Moses in the, the scripture says we should stone her. But what do you say? And they thought they, they had Jesus trapped. If he says, let her go, then they say, well, you don't follow the, the law of Moses. You're not of God. And if he says, stone her, he's going to lose favor with the people because he has no compassion. And Jesus bends down and starts riding in the dirt and acts like he hadn't even heard them. And you know, it, it says that this took place early in the morning. And this woman was caught in the very act of adultery. I seriously doubt they caught her early in the morning committing adultery. Generally, people that do that do it under the cover of darkness. And so she's probably been in some sort of a holding cell all night. And I wonder how in the world did they even catch her in the first place? Are they going around peeping through people's windows at night? Or more than likely, they were complicit with the man she was committing adultery with. He collaborated with them because if she was caught in the very act of adultery, so was he, and he is very conspicuously absent. So they may have set the whole thing up. And here's the, this poor woman. You know, she's maybe in some holding cell or something all night long being looked down upon, despised by these Pharisees. And we don't know a lot about her. Was she a wife? Maybe. Maybe she had a family. Maybe she had kids. She's got to be thinking, my life is over. What, what an idiot. How could I have been so stupid? My marriage is over. Am I ever going to see my kids again? And am I going to be turned out on the street penniless? Socially, I'm done. And it may be worse than that because these guys are actually talking about killing me. Would they really do that? And she spends the night under this, this crushing burden of guilt and in the morning, to make things worse, they drag her out and make a public spectacle of her, you know, revealing to everyone her sins. And so they're, they're telling Jesus, come on, say something, say something. He stands up, looks at the Pharisees, says, all right, let the one of you without sin throw the first stone at her. And he bends back down and starts writing in the dirt again. Who could think of something like that but Jesus. And from the oldest to the youngest Pharisee, they, they begin to leave until no one's left but the astonished crowd that can't believe what's just happened, Jesus and the woman. He stands up and he looks at the woman and says, woman, where's those accusers of yours? Is there no one left to condemn you? And she said, no one more. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Oh, the depth of Jesus' mercy. Think about that, that crushing burden of shame and guilt that that had to have lifted off of her and washed away from her. You know, I was pre preaching in Bremen, Germany about 18 months ago and uh, gave an invitation at the end of the message, invited people to come forward that wanted to give their lives to Christ. A lot of people came up. And there was one young lady in particular you know, I, I noticed her, but then I was able to meet her after service. I'm greeting people and talking to folks when everything's done. And she comes up and tells me her story. 
I would guess she would have been late 20s, pretty, pretty girl. And she's been selling her body for money for quite a while. And she, she shared it just started as a one-off deal when I was like 19 to, to get some extra cash. But before I knew it, I was a full-time prostitute. And I've been in prostitution, I think at that time it was, you know, close to 10 years. And then she broke and she began to sob as she talked about the mercy of Jesus and she just almost couldn't comprehend what had happened to her. She said, this, this, this weight is gone from me. This burden is gone. I can't believe he's so good to someone like me, so merciful to someone like me. Well, friend, Jesus is full of mercy for the guilty. But his mercy does not give us a license to continue sinning, of course. In fact, if you found John chapter 8, I want to read verses 10 and 11. John chapter 8, verse 10, it said, When Jesus raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. I don't condemn you, but go and sin no more. The same grace that has washed you clean and brought you forgiveness will now empower you to live a changed life. You know, in John chapter 5, there's the story of a guy that was sick for 38 years, and Jesus healed him. Later on, Jesus found him in the temple, and he went up to him and said, Look, you've been made whole. Go and sin no more, lest something worse come upon you. The grace of God that heals us and forgives us also teaches us. What does it teach? Should be up on the screens. Titus 2, verses 11 and 12. It says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. First, His grace brings salvation, and then it teaches. Mercy, then instruction. And inherent in that instruction is the power to change behavior. Inherent in that instruction is the power to live a changed life. But some people want to flip it around. They said, look, you need to straighten out and fly right, and then God will have mercy on you. You know, you need to get it together and, and make some changes in your life, and, and, and then God will bless you, then God will help you. No, friend, that's just the opposite of what we see in Scripture. It's mercy first, and then comes the instruction to go and sin no more. And again, inherent in those words, in that instruction, is a power that enables us to live a changed life. But for those that want to flip the script and say, look, you've you got to act right first before God can be merciful, in their eyes, that leaves some people forever out of the reach of God's mercy. I have a, a dear friend. He's been in ministry a long, long time. And for the last probably almost 25 years, he has gone every month into a California prison to visit one of the neighborhood kids he was good friends with the mother, and the kid got in trouble as a young man. You know, it was a, something that went wrong. Someone ended up getting killed, so he got life in prison without the possibility of parole. 
So my friend has gone to visit this young man for 25 years every month. And shortly after being in prison, the young man got gloriously saved. I mean, on fire. He's the, the prison chaplain's assistant. And he's been used in a, in a great way to influence other prisoners. And one of the prisoners that he's influenced is probably the most notorious criminal, at least in my lifetime, that the United States has ever known. His name has become identified with evil and with violence, synonymous. He died not too long ago, but about six months before he died, apparently, this notorious criminal had a genuine conversion experience. Now, previously, he'd been completely unremorseful, unrepentant, arrogant, but now he's reading his Bible and he's praying. And the guards that he taunted and abused, he went to all the guards and repented and asked for forgiveness. Now, I would call those things the fruits of repentance. Now, certainly only God can see what's really gone on in a person's heart. But some people, even some of God's people, would say, no! God's mercy doesn't go that far. My friend, his mercy is far wider and far deeper than any of us can ever understand. And if you are here today and you need mercy for something that you have done, something that you failed to have done, maybe you're under a crushing burden of guilt, I'm telling you, Jesus is merciful to all that call upon him. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's full of mercy. Secondly, he is a healer for the sick. Jesus is a healer for the sick. A large part of his earthly ministry was spent healing the sick. In fact, if you read through the Gospels, it seems as if Jesus is either coming from just having healed someone in the process of healing someone or going to heal someone. And his attitude towards sickness is the same today as it was then. Jesus is filled with great compassion toward the suffering. And he does not look at sickness as some sort of a blessing. In fact, if you read in the Gospels, when Jesus cast out demons, in the Greek language, he uses an extremely harsh and authoritative word when he drives out demons. And he addresses sickness exactly the same way, with the same words. He treated it as an enemy, not as a friend. In fact, in the multiplied thousands of healings that were performed by Christ, he never told one sick person, this is the Father's will, I can't heal you. God has made you sick. Jesus never said that of one single person, not one single case, but noteworthy. In fact, in almost all of the individual cases that are recorded, and there's about 20 individual cases of healing recorded in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, as well as when he healed crowds and when he healed multitudes, there is almost always one thing in common with all of those healings. And it's this, that people came to him seeking healing. They were not passive. 
And let me just give you sort of the tip of the iceberg. This is just from Matthew's gospel. It's a very short list. But in Matthew 8, 1 and 2, there was a man with leprosy. He came and knelt before Jesus and he was healed. Matthew 8, 5 and 6, the Roman centurion came to Jesus and his servant was healed. Matthew 8, 16, demon-possessed and sick people were brought to him and they were healed. Matthew 9, 1 and 2, a paralytic was brought to him and was healed. Matthew 9, 18, Jairus came, knelt before him and his daughter was healed. Matthew 9, 20, a woman with the issue of blood came, touched the hem of his garment, she was healed. Matthew 9, 28, two blind men came to him in the house, they were healed. Matthew 15, 22, the Canaanite woman came to him. Her daughter was healed. Matthew 15, 30, great crowds came to him, bringing the lame, blind, crippled, mute, and many others, and they laid the sick at Jesus' feet, and they were all healed. Matthew 17, 14, a man whose son was oppressed and sick came to Jesus. His son was healed and set free. Matthew 21 and 14, the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and they were healed. Now, you know, as, as a young believer, I went down to Mexico. I'm, I'm a brand new Christian, and I was helping in, in a, an evangelistic crusade down there. And there was an evangelist that, that really had a, a genuine touch of, of healing on his life. A lot of people got saved, and there was some notable healing miracles that took place, some amazing things that took place. I mean, in front of my eyes, just fabulous stuff. Well, the crusade ended, and uh, I'd just been helping, you know, with other people, set things up and do this or that, and everybody left, and I decided to stay down there with a, a couple of friends. And we decided we're going to go to a beach area several towns away from where we were, and we're camping out on the beach. This is two days after the crusade's over. We're, I mean, miles and miles and miles away in a remote beach area, and all of a sudden, this old car comes driving up the beach road. It stops by our camp, and this, this lady gets out. She said, are you the Americans that were involved in the crusade? I said, well, yeah, but we were just like the helpers. And she said, I've been looking for you for two days. My husband is sick. He's in the car. We came, and they told us the crusade was over and we've been searching you for you for two days. Now, I don't know where they stayed, and she actually said they'd come from another distant place to where the crusade was. I don't know where they stayed. I have no idea how they found us or what they went through. But she said, I need you to pray for my husband. Now, listen, I was just a long-haired, bearded kid with a guitar and a fresh faith in Jesus, and her husband gets out, and he looks like a skeleton. His skin is all pasty colored. He's really lethargic as he moves. And, and they went on to share how he's just in severe pain. Everything he does is painful. And I remember he sat down on a bench. We prayed for this guy. And I, I'm not kidding you. An absolute transformation took place. That, that pasty color left. He suddenly became flushed. And he stood up vigorously, lifted his hands, said, all of the pain's gone. I'm healed, I'm healed. It was like, like he turned into another person before our eyes. Now, I'm convinced that most of that had to do with the fact that they were not passive. They came after healing. They went looking for it. And I wonder, 
I've actually often wondered what might have happened if they would have sat at home and said, well, the Lord knows where we live. If the Lord wants my husband healed, he'll touch him. You know, if the woman with the issue of blood had been that way, we wouldn't know her story. If Jairus had been that way, we wouldn't know his story. We wouldn't know about the healing of his daughter. If blind Bartimaeus hadn't cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me, over and over and over after the people told him to shut up, we wouldn't know his name. The one thing that we find again and again and again, they brought, they came, they sought him out. They were not passive. They were aggressive in seeking their healing. Now, now for me, I, I have to say this. I am so incredibly thankful for every person that's involved in, in the medical profession. What, whatever level, you know, whatever expression. Very, very thankful. People that have devoted their lives to helping people get well. They realize that sickness is not a friend. And I have to say, they kept me alive. Doctors and nurses kept me alive after a boating accident I had five years ago. Without God using them, I wouldn't be here today. So I'm so thankful. But you know what? As thankful as I am, I feel that I still need to go first to the great physician. Think about it. You know, something happens. You get sick or whatever. So you take a half day off work. And you go to the doctor. And then you sit in the waiting room for 45 minutes. And then they call your name and you go sit in another room on this bench with a piece of paper on it for like another 20 minutes. And then someone comes in and says, well, the doctor will be with you soon. It's like, yes, progress. And then eventually the doctor comes in, does the exam, whatever it is, you know, gives you a prescription. You know, you, you got to go check out and, and, you know, make another appointment and come back two weeks later. You go to the pharmacy, get the prescription filled. I mean, you've spent money. You've obviously paid for your insurance. You, you pay your copay or whatever you do. You go back again. You take another half day off. You go back to the doctor's office. He checks you out again, et cetera, et cetera. And literally, we've spent hours and hours and hours and hours and days. And listen, that is time very, very well spent. But then, if I can't find 30 minutes to search the scriptures on the subject of healing, to me, that's a very unequal balance. Listen, if you're in here today and you are sick, you ought to be familiar with every single story of every person that Jesus healed in the Gospels. You ought to know them inside and out. You ought to know the color of their eyes, the last time they had a haircut. You ought to know everything you can about those stories and about those people. Friend, God sent his word and healed them and delivered them from their destructions. But I'm here to tell you, Jesus Christ is a healer for the sick, but we cannot be passive. All right, number three, number three, he has peace for the troubled. Another story I'd like to read, it's well known, Matthew chapter, or excuse me, Mark chapter five, beginning in verse one. Jesus has peace for the troubled. Mark 5 and 1. Then they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gadarenes. And when he had come out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit, who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no one could bind him, not even with chains, because he'd often been bound with shackles and chains. And the chains had been pulled apart by him, and the shackles broken in pieces, 
neither could anyone tame him. And always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying out and cutting himself with stones. And of course, we know the story. Jesus cast the evil spirit out. He had one evil spirit in him controlling him, but a whole lot of other evil spirits were inside of him as well. Evil spirits left the man, went into a herd of, of swine, and all the pigs ran down a, a steep incline and drowned in the sea. Those that were taking care of the hogs, which was an illegal trade in Israel anyway, they went and told everyone in the city what had happened, went throughout the countryside, told everyone what they'd seen, and the people came out in mass to see what had happened. We pick it up in verse 15. It says, Then they came to Jesus and saw the one who had been demon-possessed and had the legion sitting and clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Now this is beyond discouragement. This is beyond depression. This was possession. And how this man came to be in such a sorry state, we are not told. But it was pitiful in every respect. We read that often he'd been chained, often he'd been bound, but he'd broken the chains. That means often he had been hunted down like an animal. Often he'd been captured. Often he'd been bound up in chain and he would somehow get free. And I don't, did they set traps for him? Did they throw nets on him? What kind of a life is that for a human being? But that was often in his life. And I can see six effects, if you would, six expressions of the work of this evil spirit in this man's life. Number one, he was isolated. Number two, he was unclean, both morally and physically. He lived among the tombs. And in Luke's account, it says that he wore no clothes. Number three, he had no restraints. He couldn't be restrained by the laws of men or by the laws of God. No one could bind him. Number four, he was restless. He had no peace. He was crying out day and night in the mountains and in the tombs. Number five, he was suffering due to self-inflicted wounds. He didn't just show a lack of proper care for his body, but he purposely harmed it. And I went to visit a young girl in the hospital one day, 16 years old, beautiful young girl. I knew her mother, and she asked me if I, I would go see her. She'd been bitten by a spider, and her arm had gotten infected, and they'd given her all sorts of antibiotics. It looked like they got it under control, and then it would flare up again, and it just it, it went crazy. I mean, her arm actually turned black, and it got so bad, and she'd been in the hospital for quite a while, the doctors had even you know, put the thought of possible amputation on the table. So I went to visit this girl, spent time with her, and meanwhile, the doctors consulted together, and they said, you know, something's wrong. This is not acting like a spider bite. If it was a spider bite, you know, all the antibiotics we've given her, everything else, it should have made a difference. Something's wrong. So they actually installed a camera in the girl's room, unbeknownst to her. It turns out what this, this beautiful 16-year-old girl was doing, she had a hidden hypodermic needle, and she would fill the hypodermic needle with makeup, and she was injecting makeup into her arm. 
And she kept doing that even with the thought knowing that she might lose her arm. I mean, it was terrible, black, awful looking. Friend, that is not normal. To, to cut yourself or harm yourself. It's not a normal thing. And that's what this man is doing. He's cutting himself with stones. And then sixthly, he was a danger and a menace to others. But Jesus set him free. He's no longer restless. He's sitting. He's no longer unclean. He's clothed. He's no longer isolated. He has restraint. He's no longer a danger to himself or to others. He's in his right mind. And friend, I want to tell you, of any of those things that we just described, he describes you even in the smallest way. I'm telling you, Jesus has peace for you. Whether you're just worried, whether you're discouraged, whether you're depressed, whether you're oppressed, or whether it's a matter of possession, Jesus is the Prince of Peace. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And He has the power to set you free. He wants to give you peace. He can help you. He doesn't want your mind riddled with worries. He doesn't want you living under a cloud of discouragement and depression. Jesus wants to set you free. I had a man come visit me at the church one day, years ago. Told me a story. It was a shocker. He had been in, in Pelican Bay. If you're unaware of what that is, it's what they call a super maximum security prison. It's in the state of California and there was a big outcry years ago because more than 50% of the population of the prison would have to spend more than 22 hours a day in solitary confinement. The very worst of the worst, male violent offenders would go to Pelican Bay. And he's, he tells me the story when he was there and he said, I was absolutely plagued all day long with just these, these horrible thoughts of evil and violence in my mind. He says, when I would sleep, I'd be plagued with, with nightmares of just the most horrendous, evil, wicked things you could imagine. Just violent, violent dreams. He said, but I had a praying mama. My mama was a believer in Jesus Christ and she prayed for me. He says, and I'm, I'm just plagued all the time. He says, and then suddenly one night, I'm having this, this violent dream again, and it's interrupted. This guy comes into my dream and just looks at me. He doesn't say anything, just smiles. Didn't say a word to me. He said, and I just had this sense that everything was going to be okay. He said it was the weirdest thing. He said a few nights later, I'm having another one of those violent dreams, and this same guy appears in my dream. He doesn't say anything. He just looks at me and smiles. And he said, like, a peace came over me. He said that happened a number of times. He says, and then eventually I got released from Pelican Bay and went to a, a regular maximum security prison. In his own words, since it was like being on vacation. Compared to Pelican Bay, being in a regular maximum security, he says, it was like I was on holiday. He said, and I was one day walking by, I think it was a rec room, and there were some guys watching TV. And I went and stood behind them, started watching. He said, and I couldn't believe what I saw. He said, there was the guy on TV that was in my dreams. He said, Bayless, it was you. You were the guy. It was a service from Cottonwood Church. He said, I went down and sat with the guys, and I watched the broadcast, and I gave my life to Jesus. I got saved. 
Now, eventually, over a process of time, he got released from prison, and he drove all the way across the state just to come and tell me and to tell the church, thank you. I'm telling you, Jesus has peace for the troubled. I know a number of people in our own church that have wrestled with deep, dark, mind-numbing depression. Jesus has set them free. In fact, one of my dearest friends has, uh, you know, I, I knew that from time to time he wrestled with depression. I, I knew that was, was an issue. But I didn't know how bad it was until recently. He actually told me, he said, Bayless, you know, never told you before. He said, but for years, I've wrestled with suicidal thoughts. I've come so close to taking my own life again and again. I had no idea that was going on. And he was what I would consider a very close friend. But Jesus has set him I want to tell you, Jesus can set you free. He can put you in your right mind, whether it's just worry, discouragement, depression, if you're oppressed or if it goes beyond that. Jesus is the Prince of Peace, and he has peace for the troubled. Fourth and finally, he has eternal life for all who come. John chapter 3, verses 13 to 17. Jesus has eternal life for all who come. John 3 and 13, no one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven. That is the son of man who is in heaven, literally whose home is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the son of man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Now we read in, in those verses, Jesus came that we might have eternal life, that whoever believes would have everlasting life. There's actually one Greek word translated as eternal life or everlasting life. It's the Greek word zoe. And it literally means the God kind of life. Life as God has it. It's, this, it's that life of God that heals sick bodies. It's the life of God that transforms people inside and out and bring, makes the new birth a reality in them. It's the life of God that, that brings us an eternity with God. And in talking about people receiving eternal life, the life of God, Jesus cites an event that happened more than 1,200 years before. He said, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, even so. In other words, the serpent on the pole in the Old Testament is a type and shadow of Jesus being lifted up on the cross. And we can read the story in Numbers 21. Israel has is, is left the land of Egypt, and they're making their way to the promised land, and, and the people sinned against God and against Moses. They accused God of planning their murder. They accused God of evil. Said, look, you just brought us out here to murder us all. Women, children, everyone. And this stuff you give us, God, it's worthless. This manna, it's worthless. You're a worthless God. You're an evil God. You brought us out to kill us. And they say the same stuff about Moses. And it's interesting. Because in the wilderness at this time where they were, according to Deuteronomy chapter 8, it was a land filled with 
what the Bible calls fiery serpents. Today we call them carpet vipers. They're still in the same area today. But up to this point, Israel has been protected from the vipers. No one's been bitten. But when they sin against God, against Moses, suddenly that hedge of protection lifts. And the Bible said many of the Israelites, not a few, many of them, were bitten by these serpents, and many of the people died. And they come to Moses and said, look, Moses, we sinned. We're wrong. Please pray for us. So Moses goes and, and he prays. And the Lord said, okay, Moses, this is what you do. You make a bronze serpent, nail it to a pole, lift it up high, and it'll come to pass that everyone that beholds the serpent of bronze, everyone that sees it, they will live. And it came to pass, everyone that beheld the serpent of bronze, everyone that stared at it lived. But the Hebrew word that it uses doesn't mean just a quick glance. It means to look attentively, expectantly, with a steady and absorbing gaze. You couldn't be occupied with your snake bites and with the answer at the same time. You had to be absorbed by the answer. As they, they looked expectantly and attentively and absorbingly at that serpent on the pole, they realized, hey, it's immobilized. That serpent's been nailed to the pole. It's been conquered. And faith arose in their hearts and they were forgiven and they were healed. Now, if the type and the shadow provided forgiveness and healing and the reality, Jesus on the cross does not provide both, then the type and shadow becomes a false prophecy. But my friend, both forgiveness and healing are provided through Jesus' death on Calvary. But we have to see him there. We have to behold him, suspended between heaven and earth, bloodied and disfigured on that rough beam of wood. Why is he hanging there? Why has he been whipped? Why has his brow been pierced with the crown of thorns? Why is the sky turning dark? Why is he crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because he's bearing the sin of the world. He who knew no sin was made to be sin for us. But there's more. He's actually identifying with the entire curse that came upon humanity. He's bearing our diseases and our depression as well. What he's going through on the cross is so awful that it can only be described by a serpent on a pole. A serpent is a type of the devil, symbolically showing us that everything the devil brought upon the human race is being atoned for. You ever read the story where Moses and Aaron are in Pharaoh's court? Moses got his rod. Moses' rod is thrown down. What happened to it? Turned into a serpent, didn't it? So Pharaoh's magicians come in, and what do they do? They take their rods and throw them down, and what happens to their rods? They turn into serpents. But what did Moses' serpent do to their serpents? His serpent ate up all their serpents. You ever read the prophecy in Isaiah 11 and 1? A messianic prophecy about Jesus? It says, and there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse. Jesus is that rod. But when he died upon the cross, he identified with a serpent and he ate up everything that the devil threw at the human race. He ate up sin. He ate up sickness. He ate up rebellion. He ate up depression. But you've got to see it. You've got to see him hanging there. And when you see him, 
When you behold Him, the life of God, the Zoe of God is released. And that life of God heals. That life of God restores. That life of God brings peace. That life of God heals sick bodies. Just stand to your feet with me for a moment if you would. Just stand up. My friend, if you're here today and you need mercy, Jesus is full of mercy for the guilty. If you need healing, He's the same merciful, compassionate healer today that He always was. Can we go to Him? Lord, we come. We come before You, Lord. We thank You for Your great sacrifice. Oh, Lord, we thank You that You paid it all, a debt You didn't know so that we could be free. And my friend, if you have no peace today, if you're filled with worries and anxieties, or if it's gone beyond that to discouragement or depression or worse, but you see him hanging there, his precious brow that never knew an evil thought has had that crown of thorns pressed down upon it. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, the scripture says. See him there. He's suffering so you can have peace. If you're sick in this place today, let's go around to the back of the cross for a moment. His back has been laid open with that Roman whip. Most people never live through a Roman scourging. His back is in ribbons and the scripture plainly declares by his stripes, we are healed. Lord, we thank you. We thank you, Lord. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your peace. I ask you to touch your people today. I come against discouragement, depression. I pray that it will be lifted off right now by the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, we thank you that you give us a bright hope. Our trust is in you. Though the earth be removed and the mountains are carried into the midst of the sea, we will not fear, O oh God. You're with us. You're for us. I pray for those that are sick in this house today from the top of their head to the soles of their feet that healing virtue would flow. That you touch them right now, Lord. That one that has pain in their legs, I thank you for touching them and setting them free. Thank you, Lord. And for the one that has been so burdened down with that weight of guilt and shame. My friend, I want to tell you, Jesus stands before you today and he says, neither do I condemn you, but go and sin no more. Bless you, Lord. Just open your eyes for a moment, look at me if you would. I love the whole story and analogy of that serpent on the pole. There's just so much, so much in that. I have a friend who was a member of Cottonwood years ago, and he was out in, I think, in the middle of the Mojave Desert with some friends. They were plinking cans with their, their guns or something, and he got bitten by a rattlesnake. And they were out of cell range. Well, they threw him in the truck, and they're driving as fast as they can. And trying to get in cell range, and they're, they're driving. I mean, they're going like 100 miles an hour. Finally, they get, you know, reception for the phone. They call the hospital said, look, our friend's been bitten. You know, we cut the snake's head off. We got the snake so you can identify it. 
and they described their truck and the hospital said, we'll send an ambulance. And so you've got the ambulance that leaves the hospital and them and they're driving and they're gonna meet and the ambulance is looking for the particular color truck on the road. Eventually they met and they gave him the antivenom, the antidote. And uh, you know, luckily he didn't end up, he was bitten on the hand, didn't up, end up losing any fingers or his hand, which can happen. They say with a rattlesnake bite time is tissue. But you know, the truth is, is the whole world has been snake bit. We've all been bitten by the serpent of sin. And there is only one antidote, my friend, and it is the precious blood of Jesus Christ. It is the only thing that can bring us back into a relationship with God. It's the only thing that can set us free and that can liberate us. And I feel like I'm in an ambulance right now. I got the sirens going and the lights going, and I'm trying to get you as quick as I can. This is so important. It's not something that you want to put off. It's not something that you want to delay. If you haven't made your peace with God, if you haven't embraced Jesus, friend, you ought to do it today. I'm going to ask you just one more time, if you wouldn't mind, just bow your heads and close your eyes, just to sort of block out distraction. I want to pray a prayer with you today. If you've never made Jesus Christ the Lord of your life, the Bible says if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, and if you confess him with your mouth as Lord, you will be saved. I'm going to lead you in a simple prayer to do that. And of course, the prayer will mean nothing if you don't put a sincere heart behind it. But I believe if you'll tie your heart around the words and talk to God, he'll meet you. And it doesn't matter how bad you've been. And frankly, it doesn't matter how good you've been because you can't earn this on your own. And if you're a backslider in here today, a prodigal son, a prodigal daughter, daughter, time to come home. Son, it's time to come home with all of your heart and all of your soul. As I look around the, the auditorium, friend, this is, this is between you and between the God who knows you and who loves you. But I'm going to ask you to do just a simple thing before we pray, and no one's looking around but me. I'm just going to count to three. When I get to three, if you'll just put your hand up, and by that uplifted hand, you're saying, look, I, I need to pray that prayer. And I believe and then you can put your hand down we'll all pray together. And I ask you to do that because I believe an act as simple as lifting your hand, even if it's just before one person that's looking, I believe it can help your, your faith begin to move in the right direction because the Bible says faith is expressed through actions. And I believe even an act as simple as lifting a hand can get your faith moving. Just consider it a, a mirror image of your heart. In your heart, you're reaching up to God and your hand just reflects that. One. It's your morning, my friend. It's not a coincidence we're together. Two, you ready? You want to pray this prayer? Three, just put your hand up all over the auditorium. Okay, quite a few hands up. It's awesome. That's awesome. All right, put, a hand, put your hand down. Everybody put a hand on your heart and let's pray. Say it out loud after me. Say, oh God, I come before you now. I need your mercy. And I ask you for it. I believe you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross and pay the price for all my sins. Jesus, thank you for loving me so much that you would take my place and pay my debt in full. I believe you were raised from the dead. And I ask you now, come into my life. Save me, Jesus. From this moment forward, 
I will follow you, Lord. My life is yours. And thank God you are mine. Amen. Pastor Gary. You know what, I, I know you enjoyed that this morning, but let's, let's kind of wrap two things in one. Let's give God praise, and let's give Bayless a thank you for being here today. Would you do that? Before we change the order of things, I just want to encourage you today. Wrap your heart around what God spoke to you in this message today. Don't release what God wants to do in your life. Amen. Hey, be seated this morning for just a couple of minutes, if you would. I want to share a couple of things. Just a moment ago, we prayed a prayer together. We gave you an opportunity to open your heart to God. And the whole idea is to begin relationship with God. If you prayed that prayer for the very first time, or maybe you've been the prodigal and you've been on the run, we just appreciate you opening your heart to God today, and we want to give you a simple little gift, a little tool, a booklet we have called The Next Seven Days. Praying that prayer isn't the end of the journey. It's just the beginning of your journey with God, and we want to help you on that journey. So today, when service is over, there's two ways you can get this gift. When service is completed today, we'll have prayer teams here at the front of the building. They're just everyday people like you and me. If you come forward and just say, hey, can I get the booklet? They'll know exactly what you want. If you don't remember the name of it, they'll have it here. They'll give it to you. No strings attached. If you want to ask some questions or you want prayer for something else, they're here to help you. But please, let us give this to you today when service is over. If you're in a really big rush, before you leave the uh, lobby of the church, right in the middle of the glass doors, there's a counter set up there with a sign up overhead. You can stop by there, get the very same booklet there. We simply want to help you get started walking with God, and this will provide some really simple reading the next week that will help you a lot. So let us give it to you, okay? Hey, God bless you. Can we just welcome new believers into God's family today? And then last of all today, we're, we're going to worship God with our giving. The ushers are preparing right now. There are a number of different ways that you can give. We want to say thank you so much for your giving to God's work. We give because we love God. We give because He's a good God. He's a faithful God. But the beauty of it all is God blesses us as we open our hands and our hearts to Him in giving. And your 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 giving, now some of you don't ever think about this. We We share from time to time what we're doing in ministry here in the area and with missions work and so forth. By supporting the church today, you're also supporting the work of Bayless Connolly, the ministry that he's doing throughout the world. His television program has seen, I don't know how many nations today, Bayless, do you know offhand today? hundred and something nations around the world. So if you would, as you give today, just give God thanks for the good things he's doing in your life. And as we give today, let's watch church news together. Good morning and welcome to The Bridge. My name is Adrian, and I want to give you a very special welcome today. We hope that you feel right at home this morning and that you and your family have a great experience. Church is so much more than a place we go on Sundays. Church is who we are. We would love to help you get involved in the church so that together we can make an impact in our world. Here's a look at a few things coming up in the days ahead. 
We hope you'll find your place and be a part of what God is doing here at The Bridge. Hey guys, the April edition of Bridge Men is coming up this Tuesday evening. Every man is invited to join us for this fun night as we dive into God's Word and enjoy the fellowship of other guys growing in their faith. We have two more gatherings left this spring and we would love for you to come as we gear up for the season finale next month. Even if it's your first time, you're always welcome to join us. The evening starts at 6.30pm when drinks and snacks will be served. So bring some friends and join us this Tuesday evening from Man to Man. Center before you go today. Take a few minutes to come and say hi. Our team would love to meet you and help you get connected in church life. They can also answer any questions that you might have about the church. For more general info and to stay up to date, be sure to check out our website, thebridgechurch.tv. You can also stay plugged in by downloading the Bridge app. Just text the keywords the Bridge Church app to 77977. Thanks again for spending your morning at the bridge. We love spending Sundays with you. Hey, it's been a great day in God's house. Once again, Bayless and Janet, thank you so much for being here with us today. Thanks for your ministry. So very much. Give them one more good hand this morning. Awesome. And I know you've had a great day. We want you to encourage throughout the afternoon. Don't forget about Tuesday night, Bridge Men. It's going to be a great, great night. And on your way out, you can stop by the Information Center, pick up several of the advertisement cards, share them with your neighbors and friends, tell them about Easter services, the different service times. It's going to be a great, great day. God bless you. We love you. Have a great Sunday. Thank you.